Hello, and welcome to Banking Transformed. I'm your host, Jim Roos, founder and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the Financial Brand. As we enter the holidays, I thought it'd be great to share a couple of our most popular podcasts that we did in 2021, and that really set a stage for 2022 for every type of financial institution. In this Banking Transformed podcast from last April, I interviewed Dominic Venturo, Senior Executive Vice President and Chief Digital Officer at U.S. Bank. Dom shares ways U.S. Bank has leveraged innovation and modern technologies to improve customer experiences, increase efficiencies, and compete with fintech and big tech competition. More importantly, he discusses how important leadership and culture are to the success of digital transformation and bank and credit unions. The lessons he teaches are as important today as they were back in April. Jim, thanks very much for having me on, and uh, it is great to see you again. I do indeed wish that we were connecting in person. You know, I embrace technology wholeheartedly and have long been an early adopter, but nonetheless, I do still appreciate when we have the opportunity to get together at conferences and other events, and it's always great to hear your insights and understand sort of what is on the pulse of what's happening in banking, fintech, emerging technology, and where all of that converges. So I've been doing really well. You know, we've been, uh, uh, I've been in this new role as the chief digital officer since uh, July of last year. So it's, you know, starting to feel a little bit more normal and less of a change. And for the audience, you know, just a, a bit of background, I was prior to that, the chief innovation officer at the bank. And so really uh, in that space of emerging technology and uh, applied research and development through pre-commercial launch. So it's been a pretty seamless transition because a lot of what we had been doing been, you know, predominantly digital by nature. And also we've been, think, you know, really rising to the occasion of the change in the customer demands, needs, and experiences. So things are going well. Thank you. So from a business and competitive perspective, what do you believe were the biggest changes in the marketplace that came out of the pandemic and what were the biggest changes as to how you had to address the whole digital environment at U.S. Bank? Maybe the best way to start, Jim, is to sort of uh, lay out a little bit of how we've been thinking about the digital strategy because it actually preceded the pandemic. So, you know, we started this journey a couple of years ago. And as the chief innovation officer at the time, obviously part of the leadership team working through that and thinking through how we ultimately would, would navigate this future space together we really decided to do something a little bit different in a couple of ways. One of which was we decided to look at things and then organize around customers, customer segments, not products, not features, not apps, not websites, not, you know, fill in the blank, but customers. So, you know, we have a lead digital executive for each of the major customer groups. So think of that as consumer wow. and then small business and then commercial wholesale uh, is one and then employees. And when you think about employees as customers, think about an employee having sort of two roles. You know, they have a role of being an employee in service of themselves. So the tools that they use is, you know, getting their job done. But then there's also the collaborative side of an employee with the customer. So things like co-browse, things like chat, the ability to enable the employee side of the digital experience. So whether it's loan processing or whether it's the work that we've been doing in customer service and support, building out the digital capabilities. So if you have this framework of the customer segments and each of those segment executives is working with the business lines 
to understand their priorities, their strategies, and their business objectives, then we can begin to prioritize what we do next. What is the next thing that we want to accomplish together in achievement of those goals and with the customer lens? So that's sort of big item number one. Item number two was we looked at how many things could we do through the different channels? So we went out and inventoried all of the customer journeys across these segments. And this is thousands of journeys. A journey is you know, getting a job done, whether it's opening an account or putting a stop payment on a check or sending a wire or you know, something more complex like a mortgage. All of those are journeys. And we looked at those things that we could do not digitally, but could be digitally enabled and those things that could be 100% digital. And then those things that could be done together. So where you have the opportunity for both the banker interaction as well as the digital interaction to happen potentially at the same time. So those journeys then get prioritized based on, think of them as frequency, reach, and impact. How often do they happen, right? How deep do they go into the systems or the processes? And how important are they to either our objectives or the objectives of the customer? And then you start to prioritize that list and work against it. And that methodology or that sort of overall approach has helped us remarkably because we were already under the way of redesigning the processes. You know, I think it's important to note, I don't think your audience will find this as a surprise, but I'll I'll mention it anyway. It's not just you take a process and you make it work within the digital channel. You actually redesign the process end to end for digital, right? So, you know, the old days of getting paper faxed and then somebody's got to do the data enter, why not just ingest the data directly from the system of record through an API or other modern technology? So you redesign the system front to back when you digitally enable it. And you do all of that in a co-creation way with the customers. So this is an important piece because we were doing this in innovation before and digital does this across the organization where when we're building things out, we're using customer co-creation, we're using customer feedback, and then we're using iterate improvement cycles to be able to refine. So if we build a new system or a new service or a new process and we launch it digitally, we're immediately monitoring it for the feedback. And in some cases, we're going to get feedback where we got something not quite right, or it could be better, or it didn't work as smoothly as we had thought. And so we can rapidly modify those things through using an agile delivery method to be able to get a fix in within weeks or even days instead of you know having to put it back onto a list and it ends up in a project that gets delivered some nine months later. So organized around customer segments, agile delivery methodology, redesigning the processes front to back, and then using the customer feedback to iterate and improve in a dynamic way has all been part of what we started. Now, then the pandemic happens and we find ourselves in the middle of March in 2020, suddenly having digital studios that were large physical footprints of folks who were co-creating and working together uh, all of a sudden remote. So we had to change the workforce dynamics immediately. The tools that we were using needed to change. We couldn't use sticky notes on whiteboards and all of that. We had to go 100% you know, remote in these studios, and we did. But also, the, the, the order in which the things that we were going to do changed slightly. 
So we pulled forward the priorities. We looked at the most urgent things in a, in a COVID environment, in a remote where branches are closed for safety and otherwise. And we pulled forward those activities and we did them in an accelerated path. Then uh, government stimulus happened and we had to rapidly adapt to be able to accept the government checks digitally and be able to process those. PPP happened, a whole new process, integration with the SBA and the like, and we had to rapidly adopt and accelerate to be able to do that. And we'll be able to leverage those things that we've built for the other products and services as we go forward. So this isn't throwaway work. This accelerates the agenda and it enabled us to meet the customer need to do remarkably well in the marketplace with the customers, and then to be able to exceed their expectations in sort of this digital piece. So very long answer, but the strategy, yeah. the execution, the customer feedback, and the ability to accelerate and deliver has all been very key to how we've gotten to where we are today. And as we continue the journey, we'll continue to uh, refine upon that. Well, it's interesting, Dom, because right before COVID hit, I was fortunate enough to go to Shenzhen, China and visit with WeBank and Alibaba and Tencent and, and a lot of organizations. And what you're saying about the ability to have the customers, the central focus, to quickly iterate through changes rather than what we would always do in the old days, doing the quarterly or annual updates of any platform. You know, the, the reality is, you know, we already are seeing that at U.S. Bank, you're already seeing the benefits of this. You know, the, we all talk about having the customer in the center of the experience, but you talked about when COVID hit, having to transform from a branch-based environment to a digital environment. Well, number one, you always already had digital applications, digital capabilities in place. So you weren't starting from a standing stop, which, which helps a lot. But more importantly, with customer at the center of the focus, you found gaps. You found situations where digital onboarding probably wasn't as streamlined as what you wanted. I know you've come up with a brand new account opening process, and that's that's one of the things I focus on quite a bit, that the ability to simply put the ability to open an account on a mobile app is not good enough. Because in reality, what ends up happening is what we've gotten is in most institutions, the process takes 10 to 15 minutes. In other words, Instead of going to a branch and have a branch manager open my account, I now have to go through the exact same process to do the same thing. And let's just talk about those things, the digital account opening, the digital onboarding process to really improve the customer experience from a digital perspective to replicate what the consumer became very aware of when COVID hit. So there's a bit in there, you know, when I talked about redesigning experiences and, and account opening is a good example because... We had a way to open accounts, but there were issues with the way because it actually was created who knows when, and it included fields of information that were sort of an aggregate or a superset of multiple different kinds of product applications. So if you think about over time, you, you sort of collect things in a junk drawer would be my analogy. And they kept on growing over time. We kept on adding elements without taking anything away. They never get smaller. You just add to them, right? And so one of the big things uh, that someone suggested, I wish it was me, but it wasn't me. But one of, the, one of the big things that someone suggested was, look, why don't you start with no fields of information? And you can only work with the information that you already have. Only if, right? Only if it is required to be able to make that decision. 
not might you use it in the future, not might you do something else with it, not, you know, did somebody use it for whatever purpose. And you end up in a really different place. You know, we reduced the number of fields of information by more than half. And the other piece is that if a customer already did business with us anywhere else, the other premise was use any information you already had that you're legally allowed to use or you have permission to use. And so that then meant that because with our large customer base, right, very often what happens is someone's coming to us for an incremental product and there's very little incremental information we have to get from them. It may only be income that, that we need to update and everything else is, you know, review and approve, which is awesome. So it's very fast. You know, when I purchased our new house, I used the new mortgage process. And so I can speak to this sort of from personal experience. But I literally was between meetings and I had gotten an email from a realtor about a property that my wife was interested in. And in order to go see it, we had to have an approval letter. So I was between meetings. Imagine this, right? You got to have an approval letter. I don't have one. It's now it's on me to have an approval letter. And why didn't I already have one? And, you know, my wife's interested in the property. So you guys... Uh, all you listeners can understand. You this. also get the comment. Well, you work for a bank. You should have known yeah, that. You, you should know I, better. I don't work for. Yeah. I don't work for every part of the bank. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so in less than, literally in less than ten minutes, in between meetings, I go onto the mobile app and I apply for a mortgage, and I get approved. And then I get the email with the approval letter. Right. No big deal. Right. So. You know, as far as my wife is concerned, I just had the approval letter. As far as I was concerned, I eliminated a moment of panic, you know, and potential relationship yeah. strife because I hadn't thought it through and didn't have the letter, but it's actually that fast. So, you know, of course, credit approved, all that good stuff. And I had a banking relationship and the bank had my information, but that's the power of a redesigned digital experience. And so when we redesigned the checking account application process, which was the one I think you were referring to to begin with, you know, we saw amazing results. We've seen, you know, these are things where we're seeing, you know, triple digit growth in the channels and triple digit growth is not something, you know, you hear from a lot of banks in terms of volume of activity, something, you know, you sort of hear in fintech land and elsewhere, but we have seen remarkable growth in the digital space. And yes, the environment has changed and, you know, behavior has changed and accelerated in the digital domain, but we were ready for it. And then we were able to accelerate those areas that matter to be able to serve the customers and deliver that experience for them uh, in what is arguably a much more stressful environment. So my you know, mortgage example wasn't in that kind of an environment at all. And so I didn't have the other added stressors, but I could imagine that it would have been even more mentally taxing, right? And stressful if today's environment. I think to your point, a lot of financial institutions miss the fact that when a consumer is coming to you for something, there's a, a level of anxiety that they will withhold and, and be able to handle but eventually they're going to abandon the process. So what is amazing about your new account opening, your mortgage situation, is that when you surprise consumers on the positive way, where you can open an account in two minutes instead of 10 minutes, if you can start the mortgage process in a nanosecond compared to days or weeks, what ends up happening, you don't lose that customer. And you know our research and research done by others shows that the abandonment rate in digital can be as high as 60 to 80%. Well, if I can retain 
you know, more than half, you know, two thirds of the ones that would have abandoned because of the process itself. I'm growing accounts simply because I'm not losing them. That's a big deal. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's where your growth is coming from. It's, it's cost efficiency. And as you said, to be able to use data you already have to apply towards a consumer's next product. You know, it's like what I always bring up is the Apple card where it's four screens. It's validate that the information we have is good. Tell me what your income is. Tell me the last four digits of your social security number. And by the way, approve the rules and regs and you're done. And before you've even gotten a chance to say, okay, I'm ready for your next question. They go, oh no, you're approved. And your Apple card is already in your wallet, in your Apple wallet on your mobile phone, so you can use it. Do you want the physical card? And then that comes in as a total surprise. And what's interesting is even the point of validating the card is simply putting your phone up to the card holder, as opposed to the more cumbersome way, what we're used to, of calling up a number and typing in your 16-digit code. And so they never forget the simplicity of the digital process. So as you're building a better digital platform that improves the customer experience, where does data, advanced analytics, and building a unified view of the customer across the organization play a role? Is the ultimate objective to empower all employees with some view of the customer that allows them to improve the customer experience no matter what channel the consumer takes? So a couple of things. First, if you need another card, apply for ours. You'll find the process is, is at least as good and simple and amazing because I had the opportunity to work on that. So I think you'd be quite impressed. The other thing I would say relative to the data is, you know, it is so important to not only have good access to the data, it's also important to make sure that the data you have is good. And what I mean by that is, you know, there are many different information sources or places of, of, of where data gets, you know, combined up. So the data hygiene is a big deal. We've been investing and spending quite a bit of time on the data infrastructure. So this is not a new topic for us to be sure. And part of how we were able to do the work that we did with the account application process and the other piece is by having that, you know, really good foundation. Um, but the other thing then is being able to have visibility or at least knowledge and, and, and capability of data across channels. And so, you know, an example is this isn't a, that a human would know this necessarily, but I'll get to where they could. But if you're, you know, looking at our products online and you begin to apply, for example, but then you, to your point about abandonment, let's say you stop or you get interrupted. We have the ability to remind you that you were doing that in your next experience with us and even take you back to where you were, right? And so this is like marketing retargeting, but also being able to add that personalization and be able to add that experience flow so that if you did get interrupted, it wasn't because you didn't want the thing anymore. You just, you know, we're going to come back to it. You don't have to start all over again. So that's, you know, an example. But the other part is, you know, our bankers have visibility to if you've been looking at mortgage products and you talk to a banker about mortgage, they know that you've been looking at the mortgage products, which sounds creepy. But the reality is it's actually very helpful because I don't have to offer you things you're not interested in if I know you're interested in a mortgage. And then we can have a conversation about, you know, the house that you're thinking about or the, you know, the remodel that you're thinking about doing or the like. So really key. You know, one of the big things that we've spent time and energy on, Jim, also related to data is then how do we take that data and make it useful for customers? And so we've been doing this through personalized insights within our online and mobile experience. And the insights are things like, you know, 
We saw a charge from uh, something that looks like a subscription. Did you intend to renew that subscription? Would be an example of an insight. That then will allow the customer to potentially save money. Like a lot of people forget that they subscribe to things or that the trial period extended and then they got yeah. charged for this thing that they didn't intend to, you know, because folks try things and they don't intend to subscribe, but then they get charged. So we tell them when that happens in real time. We also look at their spending behavior and we are able to tell them if they've got a goal, let's just say you've got a goal for college savings and you're spending less money this month than you have in the past, we'll actually tell you, you can safely save some incremental money against that college savings plan because you spent less money than you did before. So that would be an example of an actionable insight where I'm giving you information, but I'm also suggesting something smart to do with, uh, you know, something smart to do with that money. And that only happens if you have uh, access to the data and over time, and you can actually intelligently assess what might be a, you know, contextually relevant insight. And so we're serving up these insights to customers and we have very high customer satisfaction in terms of folks saying, you know, all we asked them was, was this helpful? Yes, no but we have very high customer satisfaction with customers saying, yes, those insights are helpful to me. And so I think that's promising and it will continue to get better because as you can imagine, when they say no, that helps us train the engine to sort of say, oh, that's not as useful. So, so use that less, at least for Jim, because if I said it was helpful, yeah. then show it to me more, right? But those are good examples yeah. of how data starts to come to life. Before we go to a short break, what is the biggest challenge that you face in trying to implement new digital banking strategies at U.S. Bank? This is always such a hard question to answer because the, really the biggest challenge is that there's just so much to be done, right? And, you know, the actual execution part, uh, I think we've gotten really good at. You know, we're making really good progress. We've got agile delivery in place. We've got, but the world changes constantly. And so, you know, the customer's reference point of an excellent experience is the last excellent yeah. they experience they had with anybody. It isn't, you know, what is ABC competitor doing? It's what is, you know, this other company doing that was completely cool and unique and the like. And so, you know, the world is always changing at a pretty rapid pace. And so it's a lot to keep on top of, which, you know, we obviously have a lot of ways to be able to do that and to synthesize it. And then, you know, narrowing that down to the next bit of work to do. So I always feel a little bit of discomfort. So it's less of a challenge. It's more of a, how do you know you're getting it right? What are your reference points? So the way, way we tell is we look at the customer feedback. We look at the trends and the commentary that we get, which is more qualitative and anecdotal. And we look for the behavior overall in terms of the trends. Are sales going up? Is engagement going up? Is digital use going up? Those then become the metrics that help us, you know, understand if we're making the right decisions along the way. And, you know, unfortunately, we've got a we've got a really good track record with all of that. And we want to continue to to keep things going in that direction. Well, it seems as you said, the biggest challenge is maybe the fact that the the baseline continues to change. We we did research for the digital bank report that found that in digital transformation in data maturity and in innovation maturity, everybody rated themselves lower this year than they did 
the previous year. Now, that wouldn't make sense if you said, but we've done so much. But the challenge is that the marketplace has changed and the consumer expectation have changed, not necessarily because of the financial service industry, even though it's advanced significantly, but because of what's going on around them, you know, the between the Netflix and the Amazons and the Uber Eats and, and the local restaurant that's found new ways to do digital. The expectations were risen almost faster than we can keep up in many cases. And, and that becomes our biggest challenge is, is keeping up with change. So let's take a short break here and recognize the sponsor of this podcast. Is your organization trying to embrace digital banking transformation in 2021? Are you trying to elevate the customer experience? Figure out what technology you want to implement to improve the customer journey. Look at data analytics to really better understand and personalize the customer experience. And you're trying to make it so that more of your employees can buy into and be part of your digital banking transformation. If this sounds like you, I ask you to reimagine banking with our newest podcast sponsor, Microsoft. They give you the opportunity to unlock new opportunities at speed throughout innovative business models, deliver differentiated customer experiences across channels, products, and services, and redefine new ways of banking. Microsoft and its partner ecosystem help banks to achieve differentiation through sustainable growth, streamlining core systems, reducing cost and risk, and delighting customers and employees. If you're in the midst of a journey, trying to figure out what to do next, maybe trying to find out what other organizations are doing to lift up their experience level, I really encourage you to look at Microsoft. For more information, visit microsoft.com slash financial services. Welcome back to Bank and Transform. So I'm joined today by Dominic Venturo, the Senior Executive Vice President, Chief Digital Officer at U.S. Bank. We've been discussing the digital transformation process at U.S. Bank and some of the major advances that have been made at the bank. So Dom, you know, we see that there's a very strong correlation between data analytics maturity, innovation maturity, and digital transformation maturity, and the financial success in the marketplace. Is the gap between winners and losers widening? How do firms play catch up when change is happening faster than ever and never will be this slow again? There's a lot to unpack there, but I think, you know, absolutely the dynamics are such that the level of activity required to compete in the space is higher than ever. You know, we're seeing a lot of that in the marketplace in terms of the demands from the customers. And, you know, I mentioned earlier the different customer segments that we focus on. So consumer is the farthest ahead and has also been sort of earliest start in terms of, uh, you know, self-service digital solutions for consumers and how folks take the remote control in their pocket, if you will, and want to be able to do everything on it. And then small business sort of was a little bit behind that. Uh, a lot of small businesses had other legacy systems that they used and the like. And so there wasn't as much sort of immediate impetus for change. And that's changing dramatically. And then on the corporate side, we had sort of this very long lag of where corporates didn't really change a lot of what they were doing. And then 
with all the employees and all of the professional workers who have had these amazing digital experiences in their personal lives suddenly get frustrated with the corporate world and say, you know, how come this stuff hasn't caught up? And so it's compressed quite a bit. And if you're in the financial institution space, like we are where you serve all those customer types, right? You have now three major types of customers that have very different sort of demands and timescales, but all of it requires investment. All of it requires innovation. All of it requires the digital engagement in the implementations. And of course, the actual execution is going to be different for the corporate solutions versus what you would do for personal. And so, you know, different systems, different legacy interfaces and the like. That's a lot to that's a lot to sort of deal with. And so what you're finding is the larger banks uh, like ours have in-house teams that are delivering these products and services. We have, you know, built our solutions largely, and then we partner with solution enablers for unique features, capabilities, and the like. And, you know, we have some benefit of scale as a result of being able to do that, right? Because we have a lot of really amazing talent. We have continued to build out the engineering and technical resources to be able to do this work. And that's, you know, it's an investment. And when you think about the scale of different institutions, not everybody can afford to make that investment because they don't necessarily have the customer base, the overall business dynamics to be able to support it. And so what happens is they may rely on vendors and partners with whom, you know, technology is outsourced. And so those companies then do make the investments to be able to sort of you know, compete, but they don't have the full stack of the customer relationship. So it's a hotly competitive space. I do feel like, you know, we're in a really strong position relative to having our capabilities and our delivery model figured out. And I also deeply respect the non-bank competitors, the fintech space who focus on solving a vertical set of capabilities by being laser focused on that piece. And we learn from them every day, just like I know that I know they learn from us and we continue to sort of get better as a result. And the end result of that is a better set of solutions, a better set of experiences uh, for the customer overall. So I think overall, the experiences from a holistic point of view is better than it's ever been. Well, it's interesting too. I mean, I, I've now done, I'm getting close to a hundred interviews and the differences between interviewing a FinTech leader and a banking leader are are nuanced, but you start to feel them over time that a lot of times the fintech leader has got a much more Im- ambitious plan. They have a great vision. Everybody's on the same page. And you really find out that the, the importance of leadership, culture, and employee involvement becomes really fundamental to the ability to move forward quickly because you don't have people in, in many legacy finance institutions where the leadership has been there for 40 years. They're surrounded by other leaders that have been there for 40 years. So they're hearing the same vibe back and forth and where employees are continually feeling threatened by digital transformation because in their mind, and no one's cured them of this or proven differently, that their jobs are at risk. And, and the reality is, and it's interesting in talking to you, and it's always been the case in, since I've known you for over a decade in that when you're in innovation, when you're in digital transformation and digital product area and, and all that, you, f- you find that your organization, while big, 
really is quite nimble and flexible and, and really has always taken on the culture of being innovative, doing the little things better than others. And I think while many times I'm talking about these mid-sized banks that are in the, the bad spot right now because they're two legacy and, and now we're seeing combination of two legacy organizations in many cases, you go, does it just make a, a, a bigger bad bank? And, and I don't mean that derogatorily, but it comes off that way. You know, culture and leadership you had that in place already. That really helps. It helps at Lacacia. It helps at BBVA. It helps at, you know, a number of organizations, obviously in China. But you find this to be something that you almost take it for granted now, or is it something you're you're grateful for daily? Yeah, I don't think it's taken for granted at all. I'm grateful for it daily. You know, we started the innovation function 12, 13 years ago, and we were one of the early yeah. ones, right, in the banking space to do that. And Part of what we were doing at the time was recognizing that the world was changing around us and we needed to start to find our way towards how could we, you know, compete more like a fintech or a startup or an early stage entity that is very focused on, you know, solving a unique set of problems. But that then led to, you know, introducing some new things like design thinking and customer led and, you know, sort of lean startup practices and MVPs and all of that was like new. Right. It was, you know, new to banking and the like. And so over time, you know, the bank has adopted these things and principles more broadly. And then, of course, we had, you know, what I'll call the digital shift, which was really organizing around digital a couple of years ago. And then being able to say we are going to have a digital vision and strategy. It won't just be, you know, innovation and R&D, but this is going to be whole company transformation. This is going to be change the delivery. And that came from the top. Right. So, you know, our CEO has embraced and pushed this change, has recognized that, you know, things are changing faster now than they ever have in the past. And that if we don't change, you know, the future isn't going to be bright. And so we've absolutely been doing that. But you have to really be grateful for the leadership and the support because, you know, not everybody has yeah. it. You know, I had that when I was in the innovation role. And, you know, I would talk to other folks in innovation and they would share frustrations with how do you get stuff done? You know, how do you protect people when a project fails or whatever? And I'm like, that's normal. Like, that's that's what innovation is all about. You test things out. Some of them don't work out. You move yeah. on. But you control the investment. You control the risk. You manage it and you learn from it. But we've had a, a CEO and an executive leadership team that has supported this for, you know, a decade and I feel very fortunate to have had the opportunity to, you know, take on this new role where we were so prepared culturally for the transformation. Because like I said, the transition has been seamless from the innovation role, but only because uh, the foundation was, you know, laid and we had the support from the CEO on down. Well, to your credit, when the conversation between the normal group of friends that you know we we keep in the tight circle of, we we were asked, you know, what institutions are the most innovative in the U.S. The first thing comes out of our mouth is number one, not many. Number two, not necessarily the players you would normally think. And U.S. Bank is always at or right near the top. And I think it plays well because it does talk to culture. By the way, this is not something that came about since COVID. This has been in place for a long time. It makes, I think, digital transformation easier from your perspective. It makes success easier. It's sometimes the unknown secret in the room that, that people go, 
Really? And they may not be as familiar with what you've done there and what you personally have done and your teams have done. But I think it's interesting, too, because financial institutions are now trying to figure out the balance of the human and digital factors. So, you know, how do we blend the two to make them work together? And, you know, I think the next phase of digital transformation is actually more humanization. Now, that takes data and analytics, but it also takes humans. How do you see this playing out? Or do you see it playing out in many different ways at an organization like U.S. Bank, where you really bring more humanization to the digital experiences where maybe it's video interaction, maybe it's uh, follow-up calls in a different way than been done before? How do you see this playing out in your mind? Yeah, I mean, you know, you hit on a really big point, and it's and it's a key thing that, you know, I mentioned, do it together, you know, some of the examples of that in the service side of things. But the human interaction is critical. Like, this is one of those things that I think, you know, often folks lose sight of. And that is that money and items related to money are very deeply emotional. And, you know, we as humans sort of have a number of sort of traits or characteristics, like one of which is face-to-face conversations and create trust, uh, mostly. I mean, unless you're dealing with somebody who's obviously distrustful. But let's just say, like... We learned millions of years ago that if you can see somebody's eyes and face, you can either survive or not survive, right? That was sort of like one of these human yeah. human traits. And the end result yeah. of that is we can build trust with other people by having conversations and, and learning. So when you think about financial advice, when you think about the advice side, when you think about the financial counseling, the should I finance this or should I buy it outright or should I do those things? A lot of those decisions happen between individuals and the experts. And so whether it's personal banking or whether it's the business banking or wealth management or corporate banking, you have the human relationship side. So we don't see that going away. And we see it enabled and augmented by digital. Digital really helps people become more superhuman in some ways, right? Because you can get real-time access to information. You can get an access the ability to consume the information that the customer is providing you in a real time, and then you can use, you know, machines to help analyze it. And more than just having the information, having a decision engine, a recommendation engine that tells right. what this means, because employees are not as smart as your best internal digital people in many cases. But if you give them the answer book and you say, go down this path, it's obviously so much more powerful than simply saying, oh, by the way, here's the stuff we know about a consumer, which doesn't give you any That's recommendation right. as to, so what do I do with this? Because if, if, if we're doing this right, we can process this even faster and humanize the experience even better, can't we? That's right. So think of things like Next Best Action Recommender, yeah. right? Or the mortgage discussion I was having before, which is, I know you were looking at this. Let's talk more about your goals right. and dreams and how we help you get there. So digital enables that human experience to be even better. It does not take the place of it. Now, there will be self-service and other things that folks will do on their own. But when it comes to the advice and the interactions, we see a lot of value there. And the way we're building things around those design sort of uh, approaches that I mentioned earlier is all around, you know, which of those things should could be totally self-service, which need to be human augmented, and how do we help make the people be super bankers through technology. So finally, Dom, what do you see on the horizon from a digital engagement perspective? What will customers expect? 
And even more importantly, what will financial institutions be able to deliver? What's that crystal ball look like? And and mind you, it's bold to be looking at a crystal ball after a year of COVID where none of us saw that coming. So yeah, right. let's, let's see how we go here. I think we are getting a lot closer to this thing that I started talking about a couple of years ago called ambient banking. When you think about the ability for our systems to be able to help customers get jobs done, there are a lot of things that you may not want to have to hassle with. And so with the right permissions, you know, you could give the system, if you will, permission to do things like pay a bill that is the same amount that you get every single month. You know, everybody knows auto pay for loan payments because the payment never changes. But, you know, your power bill changes every month, but you also pay it every month. Right. And so, you know, even though the amount's variable, you know, could you make that such that you say, well, if it's within this range, just pay it for me. I don't want to have to hassle with it and tell me about it. Those kinds yeah. of things. So I think we'll see a little bit more along those lines. And then I think also being able to sort of do the proactive warnings. My favorite is the umbrella reminder that I have on my weather app. Like the analogy for that for banking. If you know it's yeah. going to rain, then then tell me I might want to take an umbrella when I walk out the door. It's one of my fighting points because I go, you know, why does my personal bank say, what is the minimum level we should set as the time when we should notify you that your balance is low? I said, guys, I've had 15 years of relationship with you. You should know what I need every day better than I know it. Because guess what? My minimum balance isn't $100 on the 13th of the month, but it is $100 maybe on the 17th of the month, a different point with more or whatever it may be. And as as you said, if you make banking easier, if you save people time, if you save them money, when it builds trust and its trust is built, the trust value concept gets into play where you say, I'm going to give you even more information because you're using it well. It's why we pay $120 a year to Amazon. It's not for free delivery anymore because everybody offers it. But it's again, if you know me really well, if you know me, look out for me and reward me, as Amazon does, as Walmart's moving towards as a legacy institution, you're going to give them more leeway as far as what they can do with it. Because you view that relationship as helpful. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, Dom, it has been great having you on the show. And I'm going to ask you one more question on a personal level. Are you still having a blast? Oh, are you kidding me? This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm absolutely having a blast. It's, it's crazy because people ask me, you know, you're in the bank industry. I said, I'll tell you what, I've been in the bank industry my whole career, and it's really never been more challenging, but definitely never at all been so much fun because of that change. And and you've been in the epicenter of this. You're like in the eye of the hurricane for close to how long? 15, 12 years, 15 years between innovation and digital products? Yeah, I think like 13. We'll call it 13. Yeah, okay. And, and, and it's not like you were not existent before then, but... Uh, you know, it's it's kind of fun when, you know, we're not going to talk ages here because I'd, I'd lose that battle. But what what's fun is your experience allows you to put things into perspective as to what they used to be and what we were trying to achieve. And it's interesting is every transformation of digital technology from the ATM through online banking, through mobile banking, it was a very different look because we always would sell it to the consumers being better for them. We always sold it internally as a way to cut costs. And I think we're now realizing that, you know what, you can make it a better experience and reduce your costs and increase your income if you put in the right perspective as opposed to simply saying, you thought we would have learned over the four times that just by providing a better channel that it just increases the number of transactions, but that's engagement and that's what we want. Yeah, so, you know, Jim, I'll make one point on that. And I think it's probably a good place to close, which is more of a leadership lesson, right? Which is, 
you know, like you do all the time, you're always learning, you're always looking at what's new and different and trying to understand and then and then decide, like, what does that mean? And I think in the innovation roles and the digital roles and the banking roles, like you never stop learning. It doesn't matter what we did 10 years ago. You want to remember like things like credit cycles and yeah. stuff like that happen, but you have to be continuously learning. You have to be talking to the leading experts in other fields, whether it's tech industry yeah. or whatever, you have to be like so on top of all of this. And then to be able to internalize that and share it in a way that's relevant to the folks that you work with so that they can learn too and everybody can come along on the agenda. But that's a big, yeah. you know, that's a big deal. You can't just sort of say, well, I've been at this for 20 years, therefore I'm an expert because you were then, you're not now. And you know that because you live it every day. So it's yeah. a great, that's a great place yep. to end. Hey, thanks for being on the show today, Don. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate it very much. Thanks for listening to Banking Transformed. We are very fortunate to be rated a top five banking podcast and to be the recipient of three international awards for podcast excellence in 2021. If you enjoyed today's show, please be sure to follow the show on your favorite podcast app. And we certainly would appreciate if you could take a few minutes to give our show a five-star rating. Also, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and check out the exciting research we're doing for the Digital Banking Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Longbreak, audio engineer, Sean Roll Hoffman, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, remember, all progress takes place outside of your comfort zone. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.